Well, as we more and more of we Spartans return to campus, faculty, students, and staff for what we hope will be a more traditional in-person, at least some of the time campus experience, let's discuss mitigating bias in that return to campus. And to do that, we have a distinguished panel. And on our distinguished panel to help us do that are Christine So. She's ASMSU's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer and Senior Advisor to APASO. That's the Asian Pacific American Student Organization. Kelly High McCord is Director of Human Resources for Residential Hospitality Services. Dr. Ashley Green is Assistant Dean of Administration, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for International Studies and Programs. And Dr. Jim Lucas is Assistant Dean of Global Education and Curriculum at the Office of Undergraduate Education. Let's start by asking, and maybe Ashley, you can start, what's the relationship between DEI and the COVID-19 pandemic? In other words, in what ways are people differentially affected based on their identities? Um, so we know that some people are at a higher risk because of their race or ethnicity due to underlying conditions or more so because of lack of access to regular health care and preventions. But there could also be differentials in the impacts of dealing with the trauma or the aftermath. So if you come from an area where numerous loved ones have died from the disease, you now have an added layer of trauma or grief that impacts your mental health, um, aside from the physical health of the actual COVID-19 disease. But I have to also mention the differential impacts on our workforce, such as differences in salary adjustments, furloughs, uh, possible inequities in work assignment, power dynamics. And from a personal perspective, perhaps women who are juggling heightened full-time work and additional duties at home while managing children being schooled from home. And then more specifically, as it relates to some of the international population, um, they've had to navigate a number of issues such as border closings, disabling them from entering their home countries or leaving to come to the U.S., navigating time zone challenges when trying to participate in courses and meetings virtually, less than ideal internet in various parts of the world, fears of being unable to obtain a visa for educational or professional traveling, thereby resulting in decreased opportunities to travel, which impacts international research and global experiences for our faculty and students. And then lastly, other issues of DEI that are exacerbated in virtual spaces include lack of connection and hands-on physical support. There are some language barriers that are heightened in virtual spaces or while wearing a mask as well. And Kelly, what would you add to what Ashley said? Ashley covered quite a bit there. Um, a lot of what we're hearing from our staff members in um, residential and hospitality services and beyond on campus, um, many of our frontline team members are people of color and women. Um, and so they have been affected in having to make really difficult decisions regarding, do I come to campus? Um, do I feel safe? Um, do I feel safe? Am I going to bring something home to my parents that I care for, right? Because those um, healthcare institutions may have been closed or compromised in various ways. Um, you know, I have childcare issues. And so do where can I put my child, but I still need to work. Um, so there have been a number of challenges. Um, we've had staff members who've lost 
people um, due to COVID-19. Um, and so dealing with the loss, um, the workforce is very, very thin right now. And so they're putting in a lot of hours um, to help us cover and take care of the campus um, that's still here and operating during the pandemic. So I think Ashley covered a lot of things that we're hearing from our staff for sure. Jim, what about from your perspective? Well, I agree with Kelly. Ashley did a great job at overviewing the issues. I think um, in addition to childcare issues, we're hearing uh, about people who have just family responsibilities in terms of elder care, and then also uh, students who may be helping to support their families. And so for them, uh, maybe their, their parents or guardians are out of work and they need to work more. And then, of course, we have to look at the jobs sometimes, as Kelly alluded to, if, if you have a position as a frontline worker or in the hospitality industry, you're um, being put kind of at the forefront of, of being exposed to COVID. And I just want to also stress, we, we've talked not enough, but we think a lot about Internet access around the world, but we're also seeing Internet access for our low-income students and our rural students. And we've actually had students who've been driving to McDonald's or to Starbucks to sit outside to take tests or to do their homework. And so I think the issue of internet access is important and then help-seeking behavior. And we know that people from certain cultural backgrounds may not feel comfortable accessing uh, medical care or mental health care. And so they may be kind of suffering in silence and then, of course, we have to think globally about who has access to what vaccines and who's able to obtain them easily. Um, but also, you know, what is the United States' role in, in supporting COVID vaccination uh, globally? Ashley, we know that vaccine and mask wearing policies have caused some controversial conversation. Can you explain some of the bias or apprehensions around mask wearing and vaccinations? Sure. There was actually a MSU DEI reopening committee forum that looked at this issue, among other topics. Um, so to be candid, um, there were some African-American men who were initially hesitant to wear masks in public spaces for fear of being targeted or profiled due to negative stereotypes. Um, as it relates to the vaccine, we also have to acknowledge that there are some in the African-American community who are not trusting of the medical professionals or political figures, um, given the systematic oppression that the community has felt. Um, some have even cited the Tuskegee Airmen syphilis experiment, where Black men were intentionally and secretively injected with syphilis as a reason to not trust the vaccine. Ultimately, there are some concerns. They think that there's some ulterior motive or hidden agenda for the government to gain more power and control or for the medical industry to make profit off of them as guinea pigs. Now I'm supportive of the science, but whether you agree or disagree, it is a reality for some that needs to be acknowledged. Then some people are just simply pro-choice in every way and are against being forced to do anything. Now, one last thing, there's also some concern on the other side where people still want to continue wearing masks even when and if a mask mandate is lifted. And they're just concerned about being teased or look, looked at like they're odd when they're still wearing their mask. So we are really seeing the concerns on both sides. And again, whether you agree or disagree, I think it's important to acknowledge everyone's feelings when trying to deal with this. And Christine, what do you think students are most worried about in general coming back to in-person this, this year? Yeah, I think everyone here in this space has brought up such important points. And I think personally, the pandemic has affected 
everyone so differently. Like Kelly said, some people lost loved ones and a lot of people were dealing with different financial circumstances. International students couldn't go home because borders were closing and travels were more restricted. But I think for students, you know, like Ashley kind of brought up some points about vaccinations and everyone's different opinions on mass mandates. Um, you know, because of how late of the vaccine and the mass mandate were mandated, a lot of students are still concerned about their own safety in the classroom because um, there has been things going around how people are creating fake vaccination cards or fake COVID tests. So even though you know, a student may submit a vaccination card, what's to say it's real or not real? I think a lot of students, including myself, really want empathy. I know some professors were more empathetic than others. And kind of going back to that international student perspective of like that time difference, I feel like some professors were very accommodating and others were not. So I'm kind of interested to see and concerned on how professors will treat students this fall because we all know the transition back to a somewhat normal year will be very challenging for not just students, but the faculty and staff that exist at our institution. So I'm just really hoping for some empathy and um, the mental health and the transitioning of two basically new freshman classes will be a big learning curve for not just those students, but for the faculty and staff supporting those students with resources and teaching them. So it was going to be my next question, Christine, is there must be some particular challenges when we, the sophomores have basically never set foot on campus either. We have two freshman classes. It was funny because I was having a conversation with one of my friends from freshman year that I'm still very great friends with. And we were talking about and kind of reminiscing about the nostalgia of what it's like being a student when you first set on, you know, you're away from home, your parents like set you free. And there's like this new sort of like sense of independence that you don't know what to do with. And so, you know, even though some students who were in this last class, the new freshman class last year had the opportunity to come stay on campus, that still wasn't a normal year. You weren't you know, struggling to balance, okay, I need to get to this building at this time, I need to catch this bus, like, where does the 31 go? Where does the bus, where does bus 33 go? Like, where's the CATA bus station? You know, so there's a lot of different challenges that these students are going to have to pick up on. And even though a lot of things are going to feel kind of normal, it's really not. And something I want to emphasize too, is the pandemic still exists. So still going. Yes. Jim, what would you add to what Christine's been saying? Well, yeah, I want to add on a little bit to what Ashley said, too, and remind people that faculty, staff, and students with sensory issues are also affected by masks. Um, It may inhibit their ability to read lips, and it can be harder to hear sometimes, and so I think that's an important thing for us to remember. But I totally agree with Christine. We've been looking at a lot of uh, support issues that need to be addressed by our campus, and so thinking through how we'll be doing fall welcome events and the scope and the scale of those events. We're basically going to be repeating some of the events that this year's second year students went through virtually because we know from talking to students that the virtual year, although they benefited and they had a great education, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as meeting people. And so we're hearing a lot about kind of social anxiety issues and concerns that they are transitioning 
to a place that they know a little bit, but not um, a lot about, and they are going to want to be making friends and engaging in clubs and doing all the things that first year students do. And so there is a campus uh, reorientation effort that's looking at how we can do that and how we can basically transition all of our students back. And Jim, to that, I would add that, you know, our staff are feeling similarly. Um, many of them worked from home. And so reacclimating to a campus and them just even thinking about the um, thousands upon thousands of students that are going to descend on campus, um, you know, on the 26th, um, they're very anxious, you know, and like Christine said, this pandemic is still happening. And so um, there's some staff that are saying, like, why are we acting like this is not happening? Um, you know, what we're talking about on September 15th, we may not have to wear masks anymore. I don't understand. Um, and so we've been trying to encourage our team members to come back to campus now to kind of, you know, ease their way into it. We had, um, you know, people who are very anxious and especially the time when no one had to wear masks on campus, um, you know, so coming from home and where people were shopping online and had things delivered curbside now coming into an office, even with five, 10 people, right, um, was, was very anxiety producing. So um, I really like Christine's point about empathy and thinking about how to keep people physically and psychologically safe, right? And we're talking to our supervisors about how to do that. You know, don't take for granted that, you know, no one wants to wear a mask. Some people do. And there are people that have said, you know, I'm worried about being bullied for wearing a mask. Right. And so or people asking me about my vaccination status or my health status because I'm choosing to wear a mask. Um, and so we want to protect people. So we're telling people you should not ask those questions. Right. Um, and so let people make that choice for themselves. You know, we've politicized COVID, unfortunately, and mask wearing. And I think whether you're a faculty, staff, employee or a student is you have to remember that people are coming from different backgrounds with different beliefs. And you can't make an assumption about someone about whether they, because they want to wear a mask or they don't want to wear a mask. We have people who have immune compromised loved ones and they want to be safe because they don't want to bring it home. And so we have to remember it's both ways. And that's something I find that it's helpful to talk to people about. And as much as some people are maybe nervous about coming back, some people are really eager to come back. And there is no right answer other than what I hear us all trying to say is you have to have empathy and grace. Ashley, can you talk about how xenophobia plays into our discussion? Sure, that's been a big concern among the international population, particularly, but not solely from the Asian community. Um, as many people know, there has been a rise in hate crimes against the Asian community. And some of this stems from the assertion that the coronavirus came from China, along with our Former political figures, unfortunately, calling this the China virus and making other disparaging remarks. So there are people that are now targeting members from the Asian community in a prejudiced or discriminatory way, causing lots of emotional and even physical harm. Um, as, as it relates to faculty, there is tension between the government compliance and sometimes unjust mistreatment of international faculty as they deal with additional layers of scrutiny and approvals and, and other um, protocols that not all faculty have to deal with. And so um, it's just a really big concern as people come back to campus. They want to feel welcome. They want to feel invited. 
It's not just purely an MSU campus culture issue. It is a U.S. national issue. And so it's prevalent among many groups. I just took the time to talk about the Asian community, but many populations are feeling this just as some Muslim populations felt this during the 9-11 crisis. Well, let me ask you all, and, and maybe Ashley, stay with you first. You know, the university is focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. What are some of the ways in which your college or department is advancing to contribute to an inclusive environment? Well, international studies and programs advances programming related to global and cross-cultural initiatives. Um, Working with academic colleges, we develop education abroad programming and other forms of student exchange. We offer a diversity of seminars, conferences, and workshops through our units related to global DEI. Um, We also have a role in internationalizing teaching and learning and integrating diverse perspectives, cultures, and voices into the curriculum. Um, And then externally, we facilitate equitable partnerships to transform lives and address global challenges through collaborative research and outreach. And all of this um, is for our students to participate in and benefit from. And we have other initiatives through our units, such as the Jensen serving as the hub for gender and sexuality research from a global perspective, Muslim studies programming, um, our area studies creating cross-disciplinary research on a global scale, um, and then our Office of International Students and Scholars with all of their support for immigration regulations, intercultural communication workshops, and other uh, DACA-related issues. And then we're also proud to have partnered with the President's Office and OI3 to develop a robust set of information and resources for our undocumented students, refugees, and DACA students. Kelly, what about at RHS? Um, I'm glad you asked because I wanted to make sure we didn't jump from the xenophobia piece too too soon because, um, you know, we really need to outwardly say and demonstrate that we want all of our students to be safe, including our Asian and Asian American community members. And so I think we need to be explicit about that. Um, And so, you know, checking in appropriately to make sure, you know, to see how people are feeling, if they feel safe, what you can do to help them feel safe, I think is really, really important. So I know in our division, um, we're we're trying to do that. Um, We've talked about our Hate Has No Home Here campaign. So students, We'll see that right away when they move into campus. We'll have a robust campaign going um, and a pledge signing um, piece as well. But as students have told us, if we are saying that hate has no home here, then we need to put some action behind that, right? And and show how we protect our our student staff and community and faculty. Um, So we're looking forward to doing that. You know, we've been trying to stay on the pulse of what's happening for folks of color, our international students, our students throughout this pandemic um, and talking with our colleagues across campus. Christine has been a part of a summit that we had in RHS and student affairs and services um, to really talk about what do we need to do to make students feel safe. And students have given us a number of demands related to safety that we're trying to respond to right away. And so maybe Christine wants to talk a little bit about that, but I think we're really trying to talk about action steps 
to do it. So it's not just kind of this verbal support, but actually supporting them in our policies, practices, and procedures. Yeah, something I'd like to quickly emphasize, and I want to thank Kelly for sharing the work that that Summit has been doing in that group. Um, it's been really good. And as a student who participates in some of those like organizations and those circles, it's really nice to see that demands are now receiving actions. But something I also want to emphasize is that because MSU is a PWI, so a predominantly white institution, it's really important that these colleges are developing steps to promote their DEI initiatives, as it is important to bring that sort of awareness to our university. And so on the topic of xenophobia and just being a Korean American woman um, myself and looking very East Asian, which Chinese people also fall under with that unfortunate stereotype that had been circulating because of the pandemic. Personal experiences, I I have not had one where somebody had blatantly come up to my face, but I remember at the peak of the pandemic when my brother and I would go to the grocery store or I'd assist my mom when I came home um, that March, I think like 14th, 2020, I remember the date. Um, And a lot of people do because everyone recognizes that it was a very traumatic time, a very like life-changing time. And so, you know, I just remember the stairs and people blatantly moving away from us in the grocery store. And I don't think some people recognize how hurtful those small actions can be or be felt. So it is really important to make sure that people are checking in with students and not just students, but like faculty and staff who are part of this community as well. So that's just something I wanted to put out there as well. Our office runs a, a lot of different programming that looks at DEI and its connection to student success. And so we know that creating a hospitable campus with a positive climate is essential for all of our students. And so whether it's the way we do orientation or the way we um, do first-year transition programming, we have been embedding DEI into all of the work that we do. And in relationship specifically to COVID, some of the efforts we've been doing is like with general education is having specific global education and DEI related conversations so that the faculty members who are most likely to be teaching us our younger students have some context of what they're facing and how to address those issues in the classroom. Because I think sometimes faculty and staff may see each other or a student in distress or something might have happened like George Floyd. And then they don't say anything about it because they don't know what to say or they don't know how to say it or they are not, they don't feel prepared to deal with what might come out of, of launching into a conversation. And so I can say from my perspective, that's something that we've been trying to do a lot during COVID is to give people the skills to, when I say be kind, I don't mean that people aren't kind, but gives people the skills to be empathetic and to give them the confidence to reach out to other people. Well, and Kelly, we've been touching on it throughout the conversation, but what are we expecting to experience with our staff, students, and faculty this fall, and and how are we preparing for it? Well, we're, we're doing our best to prepare for it. I mean, right now we are responding to the mask mandate and how um, students and staff are responding to that. 
Um, also the vaccination mandate um, that has been handed down. Um, and so there's so many questions about what this means for me, um, the timelines, you know, is this mandated? We have now religious exemption and medical exemption options. And so getting that link and that information out to the MSU community will be very important in helping them make sense of it and what it means. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that are saying, if I decide not to get it, does that mean that I'm terminated and I can no longer work for the university? And what does that mean? What does that mean for them and their livelihood and their family, but then also for the institution? Um, right. So we already talked about the unemployment or the employment pieces like we've been trying to hire a lot of people. And I think across the state and across the nation, um, there's an employment shortage. And so losing individuals because of this mandate um, would be uh, would be pretty detrimental, could be depending on how um, what the volume is right of, of people who decide to make that decision. Um, so. Um, so that's what we're focusing on right now. And a lot of what you said, you know, what we mentioned earlier about, you know, developing empathy, you know, trying to address the anxieties that folks feel. Um, I appreciate what Jim said about, you know, there are a lot of people who are really excited to get back. I think our students are really excited to get back, you know, and I kind of said, you know, wow, many times we kind of take for granted, you know, move-in day and opening and the events that we have. And so I think we have two classes that are coming in that are just like, yay, freedom. <laughs> Either they're out of the house, you know, away from their parents, or, you know, I think we also have a lot of um, returning students that are coming into their sophomore year who are looking forward to living on because they missed that experience um, their first year. And so I think kind of being in, um, you know, the residential uh, division, I think it's great to see that people want to live on and have that experience and really value it um, because that's a part of diversity, equity, and inclusion as well, right? Learning to live with other people who are not like you. And it puts the onus on us to create a welcoming environment to support the diverse people that we serve. You know, we try to encourage people, get to know people who are not like you, um, you know, explore and, and look at yourself, that self-reflection, right? And, and you're discovering who you are, what your values are. Um, and so a lot of the um, kind of inclusion and equity pieces come from you knowing who you are and what you value, and then also then learning about other people. So um, those are the types of things that we're preparing for. And I, I mentioned our Hate Has No Home Here campaign and um, really um, addressing student demand. So we're really excited to have students back on campus um, to talk with them more about how we can work together to make a safer environment on campus. And Jim, are there any resources to support faculty and students regarding mental health and well-being? Yeah, thanks, Russ. We have been posting uh, a list of the available mental health and well-being resources on the Keep Teaching, Keep Learning, and Keep Working uh, websites. And so obviously we have the support units, the counseling center and the employee assistance program. But we've also launched a new program with the support of the provost called Cognito. And that program is an online discussion simulation where the, the AI responds to your, question, to your comments and gives you feedback. And so it's designed to help people feel more comfortable um, having conversations about mental health and also to encourage them to seek out mental health support. And so we're launching Cognito. It's available in an employee version and a student version, and it, all students and employees have access to it. And we've integrated that information into new employee, graduate student, and student 
uh, orientation. And we're also developing some trauma-informed practice guides for faculty in the classrooms. And on the student side, the Counseling Center, CAPS, has launched CAPS Connect, and which is a program that's been going on for a few years. But it sends the counselors out into diverse spaces, so into college offices, into the International Student Office, into the Multicultural Center, to put mental health resources where our students are. And that's the one message um, that CAPS would like to get out to the community is if you're having students that are experiencing mental health distress is to get them to the CAPS Connect professionals. And, and how are we thinking, Jim, differently about student services and curriculum as we shift to in-person? Like what's happening with reorientation? Yeah, so reorientation has been a real campus-wide activity to look at what it means for all of us to come back to campus. And as my friends and colleagues have pointed out, in some cases, it's the students who've never been on campus, but for some students, it's just who've spent time away and who may not remember, right, how to do certain things or, you know, their campus navigation skills have gotten a little rusty. So we have a series of initiatives. Um, One is looking at, as I said before, the scope and scale of our activities, So uh, things like participation and resource fairs, understanding that more people might be wanting to go to those events. And so maybe they need to be larger. They need to be more spaced out because of COVID. And maybe we need to think differently about the resources we're giving because it's not just students looking for clubs, but students looking for education abroad, research, community engagement type of activities. So we're really thinking about that, and we're really trying to promote trauma-informed practice on our campus and encouraging people to have open dialogue with students and to give students the space to grieve, to give employees the space to grieve, to have learning communities maybe within your workplace to talk about the transition back, as, as Kelly mentioned but also to perhaps be doing that in the classroom. And Jim, can you define a little bit for for our listeners what trauma-informed is and why that's important in DEI? Trauma-informed practice is being espoused by several different groups on campus. It was actually started in relationship to sexual assault and relationship violence, but also it relates to a communication tactic post any form of trauma, whether that be a recent trauma or a past trauma. And we believe that after everything that we have gone through as a community, as a nation, as a world related to COVID, the DEI violence, the uncertainty, that we all are, we have all experienced a trauma. And so the idea with a trauma-informed practice is kind of what you've heard my colleagues talking about, you know, not asking someone, why are you wearing a mask? Or not asking someone to give you proof that they're upset, that you assume and give grace. And so instead of saying, well, prove to me that you need an extension on your paper and explain to me why you didn't get it done, you know, and kind of taking that more critical analytical approach, which I think sometimes we see happening in the classroom, but really to say, I understand, I empathize with you. I'm here to support you. How can I support you? Where can we direct, you know, so you're starting with this kind of openness one of belief and one of support instead of kind of asking, you know, give me evidence, give me proof that you had COVID, give me proof that you need to be online. And Christine, as the chief diversity officer for ASMSU, are there any initiatives that student organizations and leaders are involved in? 
like Kelly said earlier, I have been helping out with the Inclusive Campus Initiative um, started by uh, Vice President Benny Gore. And so it's been really nice to be a part of that, like I said, since they're addressing demands, trying to create actionable items. And especially because a lot of times student leaders especially get really burnt out and really tired because they feel like administration is not listening, even though I know that's not true 100% of the time, because I know there's so many other things that administration has to balance. I know a lot of students are excited, especially on the ASMSU side, to get back into academic governance and in places where student voices really need to be represented. As a resident assistant, I've also had the opportunity to be a part of conversations about gender-inclusive housing and like what that will look like in the fall since Wonders Hall, which is where I'm a resident assistant at, is piloting that. So I'm really excited for that. But I know a lot of students are wanting to be a part of spaces and panels through OCAT, our Office of Cultural and Academic Transitions. And there's been a lot of conversations happening there as well in terms of campus safety, that transition coming back, all the things we've been talking about here in this space. Well, and let me ask you all, why is DEI work everyone's responsibility? I think, Russ, if I could, before going into that, I wanted to talk about one more resource that um, is new. So many people may not be aware of it. And that is, that is the new global DEI task force. And that is a cross-university task force that has been created, including representatives from key administrative offices. Many of of the offices are represented by the speakers today. Um, And we have some faculty with expertise in global engagement and intercultural competence. So this task force is charged by the Associate Provost and Dean of International Studies and Programs, and I'll be chairing it. And the goal is really to develop resources programs and potential policies to reinforce inclusive practices in a global context. And so we're discussing the needs and developing recommendations over the summer for implementation beginning in the fall semester. And this institutional wide effort will build on existing programs and resources to result in educational materials, teaching resources, training options, and even a communications guide. Um, We also plan to increase diversity trainings and other initiatives and campus conversations geared toward global diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is really important to us because scholars have noted that in many DEI strategies and conversations, the global dimension is sometimes an add-on or an afterthought. And so we're really working hard to make sure that it's a natural integration into these discussions and efforts. So just a plug for the new Global DEI Task Force. So Ashley, we've got you uh, on deck right now. Talk about why DEI work is all of our responsibility. Um, well, I'll, I'll continue on by saying everyone should be mindful that DEI is broad and really should consider many populations. Um, specifically in my role, I like to promote that we have to recognize the immense value of having a truly global community and then ensure that as we talk about DEI, we aren't just focusing simply on diversity, but also providing the support and resources needed to ensure equity and full inclusion. We have international students, scholars, faculty, and staff in all areas and levels of the university. And these global Spartans bring invaluable cultural, intellectual, experiential contributions. And so, 
This is an area where MSU is well positioned to be a diversity champion in alignment with our world grant identity to be inclusive of the globe, not just of the nation, particularly due to our long-term and continuing strengths in international engagement. So lastly, we know that global DEI is uh, an approach that we need to take at a top 100 globally ranked institution. And it's all of our jobs to ensure that all are welcome and supported on this campus. Again, Ashley, it was a great start. I would say that diversity, equity, and inclusion is in everything that we do. Every decision that we make, every interaction that we have, um, whether we recognize it or not, right? And so diversity is, it's there, right? Whether we recognize it or not, um, the inclusion piece is actually recognizing it and acting on it. And kind of the equity is making sure that everyone that is there and is a part of it has what they need to be successful and has the same types of opportunities for promotions, progress, tenure, um, those types of things. So it's in everything, how we utilize our resources, who has access to our resources. Um, and so MSU is a highly diverse institution. It could be more diverse, yes, but we need to definitely serve um, the diverse community that we have. And it's in everything. And I think that people are asking for us to just stop celebrating diversity, right? But actually take action to move towards inclusion and definitely equity within our environment. So it touches absolutely everything that we do. And Christine, from your student perspective, why is DEI all of our responsibility? Actually coming to MSU was when I really started to become passionate about DEI work and recognizing the diversity and the equity and inclusion that needs to happen. I think Ashley brought up a great point about how DEI is very broad. And the reason why it's so important for everyone to practice it is I think it's because it's so broad. And because it's so broad, there's so much opportunity to learn, to educate oneself. And I feel like that also intimidates a lot of people, right? So something actually my department in ASMSU, the DEI department is trying to do is to have mandatory DEI goals where we are asking our staff to set a goal on a topic where they want to educate themselves more and kind of ask them to reflect and like read a book or watch a documentary. And then like at the end, have a discussion or ask a survey about how they felt and also how I can better give them resources or because if someone comes and is like, I want to learn more about the LGBTQIA plus community, but that's kind of broad. So maybe like a more specific example. So it's also my job in that position to kind of steer them in a direction that's more specific. And I know DEI in that sense is also very intimidating. So something I just want to put out there is that it's also very important to make sure people are allowing people to have that space to learn and grow and apologize and be sensitive and empathetic. Because I think a lot of the times people are very scared or they have bad experiences because someone corrected them without mercy and they weren't shown or given grace. So that's just something I also want to emphasize. So, you know, with DEI, I think it's just important when it's everyone's responsibility that you're very patient with yourself and you don't try to force it because it, it can be really tiring work. And that's what I've learned in my position, even though it's only summer and I haven't officially started for this school year. But um, I just want to remind everyone, it is everyone's responsibility, but be patient with yourself and don't be so hard on yourself about it. 
Jim, why for you is DEI work the responsibility for all of us? Well, I think building off something that Kelly said, it's something that integrates into every aspect of our work and our lives. I was hired to do internationalization of the curriculum. And so from a curricular perspective, some people always say, well, should I integrate it or should I make it its own class? And the challenge is, is when you make it its own class or you, you put the responsibility on a certain person or a certain office, then it allows you to marginalize that office or to that class, or it becomes a one-off. And really DEI is a part of the ethic of our institution. It's part of our culture and it needs to be living and breathing across all spaces. And I know when I'm working with faculty, you know, I might have a faculty say to me, well, I teach a genetics class. How can I teach diversity? That's not the content. But the way I like to talk about DEI work and global education, the curriculum is, is it's not just about the content. It's about the climate that you create in your class. It's about having equitable policies that are transparent and fair for all of our students. It's about the pedagogy you use. It's about the books and the examples you use. And it really takes all of us working together because we all have expertise in different areas. And so it's only through collaboration, I think, that we'll ever achieve um, our DI goals as a campus. Well, thank you all for this uh, wonderful insight. And thank you for all the work you're doing to promote DEI at MSU and, and frankly, a, around the world. And Kelly, let me start with you. Just anything you'd want to add that, that you've thought of during our conversation or just some some final thoughts and key takeaways you'd like those joining in on our conversation to take away? Uh, the university has really been focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, President Stanley from day one has been talking about how important that is to him and um, how he wants to see it integrated into the institution. Um, and so he, he established the DEI steering committee um, where um, Dr. Uh, Wanda Lipscomb and Luis Garcia and Dr. Cynthia Jackson-Elmore led that charge. And so we're really excited to see what comes of the recommendations that are issued. Um, we can find those on the president's page. Um, and so our vice president and chief diversity officer, Dr. Jabbar Bennett, um, will be kind of taking the lead in kind of orchestrating what needs to happen across campus. So it doesn't just rest on his shoulders, but as we just talked about, it's all of us um, being involved to help um, implement those recommendations and make this a better climate and um, environment for everyone in our community. So yeah, we're really excited to see that. And also the task force for racial equity released recommendations as well. And so we invite people to check that out as well. Um, as we kind of move forward um, to address those recommendations along with Dr. Bennett as well. And Ashley, what about some final thoughts from you? I just appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's really important work and also intense work as Christine mentioned, but after this conversation, I'm energized because this is just another example of how we really need partnership, we need collaboration, and it's all of our responsibilities. So I have much respect for everyone on this call and all of their hard work and valuable contributions to this conversation. As you can see, everyone played a role, even our moderator. So thanks for this opportunity. Christine, how about you? Yeah, like what it was said earlier, like students are very eager, including myself. There's obviously a lot of mix of different, I guess, like stressors that come to mind with the pandemic, but you know, very excited to be back, you know, hoping for a somewhat normal, a normal year to have those like normal, like 
in-person like club meetings, like e-board and executive board meetings, because it's that in-person. It's just like, you know, Zoom, I think we all made it work and everybody adapted very well. But I do miss that in-person reaction, passing people in the hallway and saying hi. And I'll also be sitting on the homecoming court. So I really want to enjoy that opportunity with kind of like with the, you know, trying to stay as safe as possible. And I'm really grateful to be able to participate in this conversation today and hear everyone's lovely input. So those are my final thoughts. And Jim, bring us home with your thoughts, please. Uh, well, I also will echo the thanks to you and everyone on the call. I think if I could say anything is reinforce the ideas of grace and empathy, both for ourselves as well as our colleagues and our students, allowing us the time and the space to be flexible um, and creative in how we're achieving our work um, and how we're working with those around us. And I think my main point that I'd like to leave you with is we need to be encouraging help-seeking behavior with all of the people around us. And some people are really reticent to seek out, especially mental health behavior, because it may be stigmatized. And seeking help is a strength, not a weakness. And Spartans are here to help. They're here to help each other. They're here to help the world. And you can't do that if um, you're suffering. So we need to, to be giving ourselves grace and, and encouraging people to get the help they need. Well, again, I'd like to thank you all, and I'd like to thank Henry Mochita for pulling this great panel of thoughtful Spartans together. We've been talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion at MSU, as well as mitigating bias in our return to campus. We've been doing that with Christine So. She's ASMSU's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer and Senior Advisor to Paso. Kelly High McCord is Director of Human Resources for Residential Hospitality Services. Dr. Ashley Green is Assistant Dean of Administration, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at International Studies and Programs. And Dr. Jim Lucas is Assistant Dean of Global Education and Curriculum in the Office of Undergraduate Education. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.